My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a person far less invested in the Hallmark Channel's Good Witch television series. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece. Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, you know what? I'm just going to make it Jeffrey this week. No one else. Back to our roots. If you only know Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or at our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, it's burnnoticed with a D, like the name of our show. So Brie, tell me about this Hallmark Witch show. Oh my goodness. I've been trying to find a way to talk to you about this show for the last couple of recording sessions because it is so buck wild. So it is a Hallmark Channel series and it's exactly what you'd expect. It has the exact same like you know parental guidance rating it has same the exact same values. sort of tone like if you've ever seen a hallmark christmas movie it's that yeah. in television show form same and my color mom correction. And I, yeah and my mom and i are obsessed with it and apparently this tv show which is still running actually it releases a new episode today in fact the day that we're recording this but it's it originated as a series of hallmark movies and then they made a tv show about it with largely the same cast and it's it's very funny to me in, in almost every level so it's like okay, 10 episodes of the it? season so it's a it, the basic premise is this lady named cassie nightingale something witchy lives yeah. in a little small town which we think is in Illinois because the only major city that they talk about at any time is Chicago. So it sort of seems like they're probably in Illinois. Anyway, so there's somewhere, but like they, it looks like they're in Stars Hollow, kind of. Like it has a Stars Hollow vibe, but I think is in the Midwest. Okay. <laughs> and, and she is a single mom and her and her daughter live in this town and she is a witch, sort of. I guess she is literally a witch, but the, the funniest thing about the show to me, and there are a lot of funny things about the show, is that like she doesn't do like magic. It's not like bewitched where she winks and like magic comes out of her fingers. Oh, you so know? she's, wait, it's she's not, like not she... doing like magic. No. So here she basically is just like a very intuitive person who when minor inconveniences happen in town, which, you know, it's a Hallmark show. So like minor inconveniences uh-huh. are extremely minor. She like using her intuition that I guess we're supposed to assume comes from her being a witch to like manufacture situations to help things resolve themselves. So like, for instance, like people will come to her for advice and she'll say something really vague, but like in a tone of voice that's like, you'll quote this on your wedding some card invitation someday. And then like, it'll unlock something for somebody or like, she'll ask somebody to make a delivery for her because she owns like a basically like a uh, I don't even know what kind of shop she has. She has a shop that's like it sells candles, it sells teas, it sells antiques oh, for some I reason. Get this now, wait. So you know, is the plot her, or is the plot her helping people? Uh, sometimes it's her. She has. She's had a. She's been in like three different love triangles. Oh wow! But like, and like, is the idea that like once a week that she meets someone to help? To be a Sometimes, good witch yeah. for? Because she also, she lives in uh, like her family's ancestral home that is now a bed and breakfast. So she also runs a bed and breakfast. And a lot of times the like, quote unquote, case of the week for this this witch is like somebody will be visiting her bed and breakfast and she has to help them solve a problem. So because it sounds to me like it's almost a, a non-religious touched by an angel. Yeah, that probably is a, a good vibe. I've never seen touched by an angel, but I, from what I know about it, that does seem to be it. The, uh, the one thing though that is funny, though, is that season two starts where this guy has like come to her bed and breakfast and is acting super shady, but she like insists that he's a good guy. And like, it seems like, well, maybe her powers aren't as good. And then she at the end, she realizes that like this guy is actually has a twin brother who does have evil intent but was using a charm to like hide behind his brother's good aura so like it's the only time in the show and we've watched three seasons so far there's only one episode of the show that calls something a charm and where it is literally like 
text rather than subtext that she is magic and magic oh, exists. Wow. But no one like no one is there's there's also like a short episode set in Halloween where like the daughter is getting bullied at school because everyone's calling her mom a witch. But like the end of the episode is just her like it's fine if people call you a witch. I love Halloween, actually, Mom. I love you. And so, like, nothing comes of that. Like, there's no, like, witch legacy that she has to learn about. Like, she never says, like, well, I am a witch. It's fine. Tell them it's fine. I'm very helpful. Like, it's just, it's, it's so clear what that a they witch seem to be... means in this context. Yeah, it's really yeah. unclear what a witch means. She basically is just, like, a very helpful, like, pseudo-psychic. Who but is I mean, like, to be fair, like, tea? that's kind of what witches used to be. Like, there's something here... To the idea that, like, witches were kind of just, like, old women who knew about medicine. Sure. And that's definitely, it seems to be the vibe they're going for. But again, even though the show is called Good Witch, no one calls her a witch. She doesn't call herself a witch. There's no, even though there's, like, a clear, like, witch legacy that they've set up in the Well, someone calls her a witch because apparently there was an episode about it. Oh, but only, but the one, it was one episode and it was, it was indirect. No adult calls her a witch, but the kids at her daughter's school call her mama witch. And like, for some reason, apparently this is a big deal and that it's not all of a sudden. And then we never bring it up again. She also has a cousin who's like also a witch, but is like way more chaotic, which I really enjoy. Cause like the Ooh, way that Cassie, fun. the main character helps people is like, she, she's like more, more gentle. She's like, Hey, can you deliver this box of flowers to somebody? I'm so sorry. I'm just too busy. And then like, wherever the person goes to deliver the flowers, like introduces them to a person they needed to meet in order to like learn something so, like, about themselves or whatever. So her powers are a little bit that she's Amelie? Kind of. But then the the cousin, the, the thing that I do like that they're doing is that the cousin who's like a little bit more of a mean girl, she also helps people, but in like a much more chaotic way. So like there's one episode where the lady who runs the local cafe, who's like the best friend of the main character, the, 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 the cafe woman is trying to open a new business with a new storefront and the cousin swoops in and like steals her investor and also steals the location. And like, it seems like really bad. Like, she's like, oh, I just want it. You you introduce me to this guy. And you know what? It turns out he liked my idea better. And so it seems like she's like done something really evil. But then at the end of the episode, it turns out that like there was a gas leak or something and or like a there like an open flame. Mm. I don't know. Something happens and like the location like burns yeah. down and like That's... anyone who owns it is on the hook for it. So like, but like, you see what I mean? Like both cases, yeah. she is helped. But in one case, it's like nice, gentle help. And in the other case, it's like chaotic, frustrating right. help. And I do like I that dichotomy. That. But also, again, like the stakes of the show are truly like tremendously low. It's so, so funny. And it also doesn't know how to end. <laughs> like they will just end an episode on a like, third person like a character who we've never met before like like the guest star like an episode will end on a guest star like looking thoughtfully out a window after a really like non-specific scene and then the episode will just be over and you're like hang on what yeah there's not even a cliffhanger what's happening well yeah because so it funny. Is. i think it is trying to be touched by an angel which was totally like that like, interesting and like touch touch by an angel from my memory and it's been forever was like also a show wherein like theoretically they were supernatural and they like knew some things, but they didn't super have powers. Right. And the only time that they were like supernatural would be like at the end of the episode where suddenly they would have like a halo of light around them. And they would be like, actually, my buddy Jesus got this. Or like, you know, and the person would be like, oh, you're an angel, actually. But it's the same sort of idea of like, they're guardian angels, so their job is to, like, manipulate things. And I think that's what Got it. the show's going for. Like, they're But, the, like, again, they're like there a, is a scene where she understands charms and, like, looks through a spell book, but then it's never it's so brought up weird. again. And it's so unclear who in town actually knows she's literally a witch. And who – it's just – it's so funny. It's Why so she lazily be, written. Like, it seems like it would make more sense – if she was a fairy godmother. Right. But she's not. She's a witch who's good. She's a witch. But it's just, it's so funny. It's so weird. Like, sometimes there will be, like, to be continued, but, like, for no reason. It's like, we could have wrapped this up this episode, but I guess they have the guest star. So we're going to do another episode with them. So, like, sometimes plot arcs that would naturally fit into, like, a 10-minute split-up sequence will be, like, a three-episode arc. And it's like, Why? Why are we That's doing so this? It's weird. basically like we talk a lot about how nowadays TV shows are often just 10 hour long movies. 
That's literally what Good Witch is doing. Because like oh the way God. that they break up episodes seems so arbitrary and random. It's it's very funny. It's it sounds like, awful, but also I really <laughs> want to watch it. It's it's a lot. It's like it's so like teeth achingly sweet and like earnest. Oh, yeah, of course it is. But then every once in a while it'll have a little edge, and I'm like, oh, that's what I want. And then they take it away from me. <laughs> it's like they'll They're show me a knife, you. but they'll never let me hold it. Yeah. Anyway, talking about edge, if all the things that and all the things that like the good witch doesn't do and burn notice often doesn't do either let's talk about this episode of burn notice sure that was a that was a really rough awkward, transition it was a really rough transition i was i was gonna try to give you here here let me try let me try let me try in a transition you do let it me try. Do, do you want for me <clears throat> yeah i do think that like one of the the hardest parts about good witch is that even though everything is like delivered really melodramatically it's just not that deep Oh, speaking of uh, melodramatic and but not that deep, this episode of Burned at Us, season five, episode sixteen, depth perception. I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's that's called where I was trying to go with perception. It. Depth. Yeah, like deep. Speaking of deep, let's talk about depth perception. Burn notice oh, is season five, episode thought. sixteen. Okay. That was what my transition was going for. Okay. Yeah, well, fuck you, though. Anyway, we're talking about Death Perception. It aired on December 1st, 2011. It was written by Peter Lalanis and Ryan Johnson and was directed by Craig Siebels, who we met when we learned about that Christmas short film. Oh, is that who this is? Yeah, although he was just a producer on the short film. Got yes. it, got it, got it. The premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is Fee and Jesse are sent to the Caribbean to transfer Anson's money to a new account. Meanwhile, Michael and Anson put aside their differences to help an old friend of Sam's who is being targeted by a Russian spy. And are you ready to talk about it in the weeds? I am. I have a lot of things to talk about with this episode. Oh, boy. I have a lot gonna, to say. Really quick, like, I want to take your temperature. Okay. How do you feel about this episode? I think that there is a lot about it that I think is really clever. And as per usual, it doesn't stick the landing. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, like, let's, we'll I'm really this out excited about what they were trying to do, and I I applaud Same. them for trying to do it. And I'm I'm always excited for what people are trying to do, and like I tend You're very I watch person. things assuming that they are going to try to be the best version of a thing that they can be, and so I, that's just the goggles that I watch this show from. Like I watch this show hoping that every every week hoping that they might suddenly become a better show. Mm-hmm. And when they get, like, 70% of the way there, it feels momentous. But, like, we'll get into the weeds. Yeah, let's get into the weeds. So, picking up from a little bit after we left off from last week, uh, Michael visits Madeline, who is mourning Benny. I think the funeral has just happened. And she talks about how well that Benny knew her. And then Michael explains that, well, there's a reason that he knew you so well. Because he got all this information about you from Anson. And Anson knows all about you because five years ago he was your therapist for a bit. And this is when Madeline finds this out. And then. Yes. Okay. I remember now. I watched these episodes really close together, like right after each other and then did something else. And they have kind of become one in my brain. Exactly. And while last week he, Michael had been pretty good about like being quick to tell Madeline stuff, he had not told Madeline about this. And she's very upset. And she does slap him across the face. I do think that in Michael Wesson's defense, like, it's fair that what knowing this information would only hurt her like she can't do anything about it. It happened in the past. It has no lasting impact on like her life. Be like really, she didn't need to know this. Um, no, I think that, and I, I, in I this think it's scene, fair that he hadn't found a good time to tell her yet. Yeah, I think it is reasonable for both Michael and Madeline to react the way that they do. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it makes sense for Michael to be acting to not have told her, and I also think that especially after this person that she liked just died, that she's like very emotional and like. It's really, fu- like, it's really fucked up to learn this. Like, like yeah. remember how fucked up Michael was hearing that this happened? Mm-hmm. So the fact that, like, it happened to her and she's, like, this upset about it, that tracks for me. Oh, no, it, it totally tracks. I, I was just saying, like, I see where Michael's coming from, maybe yeah. not mentioning this until now. Uh, is this the scene, because apparently I remember these episodes completely out of order. Is this the scene where she's like, 
you have to just tell me. She's like, I think I've proven by now that I can keep up. You just have to tell me what's happening. That's later, I think. Oh, well, no, I like that scene. scene. She's because mostly, it, it does no. feel like it sums up what the show is doing with Madeline finally. Oh, totally. And I really like it. Because it used to just be like, tell me, tell me, tell me. And then she would like freak out and be like exactly. really irritating. Yeah. But now it's like, she's exactly. like, tell me so I can help. I do spy stuff now. And also, I can like, handle like, it. she's an adult. Like there was this thing right. about Madeline when she first started where she seemed incompetent. Right. Well, they wrote her and incompetently. They, she was yeah, just the nagging incompetently. Exactly. And so now she's quite competent. And like, and it, it does seem like nice to have the show kind of make the point that like, no, she's competent now. You're kind of still, you're treating her like she's season one, Madeline. But, you know, this is season five. But, you know, in this scene, she slaps him. He's like, holy shit. And then he tells her to, like, she tells him to just get out. She does the full on, get out, get out of my house, get out thing. Um, and so Michael leaves. He sure does. So And so Michael leaves to go meet Anson while Jesse and Fee watch from a roof across the street. And Fee is, like, watching him through, like, a sniper scope and is, like, this close to shooting him. And then Jesse's like, no, you, you can't. You can't shoot him, Fee. I know you want to shoot him. You can't shoot him. It's unclear why she can't shoot him. Well, because I'm assuming he presumably he he's like set it up where if he yeah, dies, the information dies. about I'm Fee assuming goes live. that's the case. No one's ever said that, but I'm assuming that's the case. I feel like he mentioned it early on. I feel like it was established, like yeah, because it would be like they've been able to kill. Like the reason I think he even says sometimes, like, do you know why I'm so confident that I can just meet you without any backup because I know that I own you? Yes. But I mean, like, a lot of that's bluster. But, you know. But anyway, so Anson tells Michael that Michael's investigation into him has flagged a bank account of his in the Caymans. And so now he can't get that money out of his Cayman bank account. And so he wants that money back. And so he needs Michael and co. to go to the Caymans and blackmail a banker to get it back. And Michael's like, I can't go to the Caymans. And unlike, like, a week or two ago where... Yeah, when he went to Puerto Rico. When he went to Puerto Rico, like, Anson accepts it this time. It's like, okay, yeah, I know you can't go to the Caymans, but you can send Jesse and Fee to the Caymans. I own you, so therefore I own them too. Mm-hmm. The package deal. It's a package deal. So at Carlito's, Michael, Michael broods about his mom, and Sam says that he might be able to use this whole Cayman Island thing to get the FBI after Anson. And then Michael tells Fee to take Jesse to the Caymans and to get Anson's money. So in the Caymans, Jesse and Fee scope out George Anders, who is the banker that they're going to blackmail and poses a rich couple from the Hamptons who are trying to move some money quietly. I'm going to say right now about this subplot, my favorite thing about this subplot is that they have just decided that V and Jesse are just going to be awful to this guy and it's never going to stop. <laughs> like, for some reason, they've decided that, like, the normal rules about making these the characters seem like the good guys don't really apply here. Well, it's because these are our chaotic friends. Like, these so are the, the chaotic, chaotic team members. And anytime and that like, they do stuff, it's a little messy. It's a little bit more heightened. <laughs> Exactly. I like it. And like it. they kind of set up early on that like this guy, he's a banker for scumbags, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, if you were just if you were a banker or a lawyer for like drug dealers or like you are the you are worse than drug dealers. The worst thing that you can be is the lawyer for the drug dealers, but the banker for the drug dealers. Because like he does bad things, but he doesn't like do like courageous bad things. He does cowardly bad things. He's not mm. like a man. Meanwhile, Sam is back at a bar in Miami and he meets with his FBI contact, which is um one of the Tweedledee and Tweedledum guys, but only one of them. I His know, I, I miss the other guy. This guy, the other guy. he's so limp without him. Exactly. The thing is, they they both together, when you put them together in a scene, they almost equal the charisma of a single person. <laughs> you can't single, have just, just like one normal, of them. Not that charismatic person. Exactly. On their own, it's like nothing. It's like, he's, it's like you're talking to a tennis ball that they're going to CGI over later. Except he's a human. He's a human tennis ball. Anyway, so he leaves. He agrees that he's going to help, but he leaves. And then after he leaves, well, who should approach Sam but Beatrice from the fall of Sam Axe? And someone's trying to kill her. Yep. She is now, like, again, it makes 
sense now a little bit why they like cast her so old and follow Sam Max because I like she has to now be like five or six years older. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I don't think I ever had an issue with her casting. As oh no, an age. it's like I the, had an the way they dressed her. A single, like a single outfit at the very end of the movie. The single out? No, it was a yeah, it was a wild outfit that they put on this character. Wild outfit. Listen to our bonus uh, episode if you haven't yet. Yes. She is back and someone's trying to kill her. It turns out someone wants to kill her because of something she wrote. Because as you remember, she is a journalist and she now like writes for her dad's paper or whatever. And specifically, she's been writing about like bad Russian oil guys. and But she's written about a lot of them. So she doesn't know who's trying to kill her. And she explains all this to Sam in her hotel room. She's got, like, all of her, like, articles. She also explains that, like, someone tried to kill her, but, like, shot her assistant instead. And her assistant is now in, like, critical condition. And so she's worried Mm -hmm. about, she feels guilty and she's worried about her friend. And so they, Sam decides that she's going to help her. So, like, they leave this motel that they're in and immediately get shot at by a sniper but they are able to escape from the sniper. So Sam takes Beatrice to Michael, and since he knows a whole lot about Russian bad guys, and Sam suggests that they need to work up a profile of the person who's trying to kill her. And they know someone who works up profiles of, like, spy-type dudes. Do they? (gasps) Anson. I I don't... I like this. I, I don't like necessarily how they get there, but I really do yeah. like that. Like, this is a great idea is making the guy who's like consistently tormenting them into a guy helping them with their case of the week. Exactly. I love anything like this. I like whenever you have like one of the bad guys that has to tag along with the good guys while they do their good guy thing. That's right. always a thing that I enjoy. I'm always here for it. So I was really excited that this was the thing that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Like some of the better like Larry moments were him sort of like showing up, helping them with a thing and then being like, all right, now it's my turn. Yes. I also do like that they're trying to go a more psychological perspective because like for the first time we are we are really do trying to delve deep into like motivations and like manipulation, yes. like stuff that spy stuff should have been about from the beginning. Like he's the first like. He's the first guy that really feels like a spy antagonist. Yes. Like management, while they are a management of like burned spies, always just felt like a shadowy organization, you know, and that can go in any kind of genre. Bureaucrats, they're like, they're bosses. Right. And like like, Simon was in jail for so long that he's not even a fellow spy. He is just a a escaped prisoner. And like all the other (laughs) spies that we've met so far... Like the British guy, or mm-hmm. like the Gilroy. One guy Gilroy from... wasn't even a spy. Gilroy was an assassin. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like this is the first guy that feels like this is the right antagonist for a spy show, a psychological yes. profiler who like literally manipulates people knowing stuff about them. Exactly. He's gotten their heads. Anyway, so Michael meets with Anson and argues that Anson should help him because Michael's going to do this thing with Beatrice regardless. And he's less likely to die if he does it with Anson's help. So Anson agrees to do it on the condition that he gets to tag along and watch Michael work. So back in the Caymans, Fee and Jesse meet with George and immediately drop the charade of being (laughs) like a couple from the Hamptons and are just immediately like, no, we're blackmailing you. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, buddy. Fuck you. You're ours now. Yeah, we own you. Here here are my shoes if you could lick them, please. I'm going to need those. I'm going to need these licked by morning. And then, yeah, they show him all the blackmail info they have on him. Like, get to be fabulous bad guys while intimidating this dude. And, like, it's not like a, it's the real sort of casual intimidation that comes from, like, we have all the power over you. So we're just going to, like, lord it over you. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. So Michael meets with Anson again, who tells him that the person that's trying to kill Beatrice is most likely a guy named Oscar Markov, a Russian spy that Beatrice accidentally outed in one of her articles. Anson tells Michael that Oscar is Miami, but only after Michael allows Anson to come with him and give him spy tips. I don't know why we are kind of establishing this beat again. It it feels like we kind of get this beat, like him asking to come with like too many times. Yeah, it sort of feels like he should have negotiated better at first. (laughs) Exactly. 
Because, <laughs> like, um, at this point, Michael has the information he needs, presumably. Why does Anson need to, like, what, what is in it for Michael that Anson gets to stick around? Yeah. But, yeah, it I feels like, like if, my, if Anson's there, Anson should just be there and should be more involved. Like, I, I, this is another one where, similar to last week, I feel like there's only two beats of, like, Anson being genuinely helpful. And it's at the beginning yeah. and the end. There, where's the right. third? There needs to be a third. There needs to be a middle beat. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I think I do like how we've established. I think I talked about like a couple weeks ago about how the thing that makes Anson scary is that he's watched Burn Notice. And so I like that this episode is essentially him saying, I want to be in this episode of Burn Notice. <laughs> Tell me, like, okay, do, do a spy chip. Tell me a spy chip, Michael. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I do like that the a lot of the spy tips we get this episode are like in episode. I thought that was cute. It was a cute little it subversion. Was. Although, of genre. like, I they were not voiceover, so I did not write them down. Right, and and I don't think you should have that because that's not what the thing we do. But I, but I, I although will this say episode that, is like, going to suffer because of it. it probably when it comes to spy tip time. Yeah, maybe we maybe we can unpack that later. We will. So Michael and Anson arrive at this Russian company in Miami where the FSB is being housed and where an an Oscar is trying to make contact. Anson asks Michael what his next move is and Michael talks about how he's going to manipulate the receptionist and then Anson asks how he feels about the fact that Michael's probably going to get her fired and Michael's like, well, it's better better someone be fired than dead, essentially. But like, it's a thing that he doesn't like to think about. And Anson's like, no, you should you should think about it. You're like, who knows what's gonna happen to this girl? And so mm-hmm. Michael gets pissy and they both talk to the receptionist and Anson like flirts with her. And it seems like it's yeah. supposed to be working. It's weird. Like, I don't know exactly that what the tenor of the conversation is supposed to be. I think like part of the thing that's happening is that he's supposed to be good at manipulating people. It just seems like he's flirting with her. Yeah, I also got that vibe and I was like, this is weird. I would not leave Anson alone with this woman. Yeah, I was like really confused if like, but like it seemed like he was flirting with her for mission reasons. Right. And it, it was like, it was a very strange insertion. And like the fact that Michael Weston didn't even like give it a second look was bizarre. Again, though, like, I do like this it was, setup. I like that Anson's asking like him the these setup. questions. I think they're good questions. Yeah, I, I think my thing with this scene was that like it was unclear why... This was the play. Right. Like, why this was the smart move to flirt with this woman. Because, like, that's a high-risk play. Maybe it's just him being arrogant. I don't know. Anyway, but Michael finds Oscar, who's being chewed out by a man who turns out to be his FSB handler, and we will learn later is named Ivan, because he's Russian. And Michael tries to talk to Oscar, but Ivan won't let him, because he recognizes Michael, because he's, like, a Russian spy. Mm-hmm. Immediately pulls a gun on him. And it's like, no, you're Michael Weston. You're, this is, we're Russian spy. What are you doing, Michael Weston? Yeah, I loved this because like if Michael Weston is going to be the boogeyman that everyone claims he is, I like that the last two episodes have had to deal with like Michael Weston is a spy and also Michael Weston is an extremely famous spy. So he's sort of like James Bond to the extent that like he's almost too good of a spy so that he can't be a spy anymore because now everybody knows his fucking face. I like that. I think that that's cool. I like that too. I think that that's a neat tension. I don't think that they're doing a lot with it, but I do like that it's in the background and that we, you know, yeah. it's available for us to play with eventually. Exactly. That's like the best way to do it. It's like, you don't want to make it like so much of a thing that it we start to question why people aren't recognizing him more. Like you leave it in the background just enough that you can play that card when it's good for the story to do so, but like you don't need to be playing it all the time. Exactly. But yeah, I I appreciate that it's being peppered in because it feels like something that like would be a natural transition out of the CIA because sort of the beauty of Michael Weston like being stuck in Miami is that he's nobody here. He's just Madeline Weston's son who nobody's seen for 30 years. Just like this asshole that keeps starting fires. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, in the middle of like Ivan and Michael like having a dick measuring contest like oscar just shrugs and escapes because he's not having a good time here back at the loft sam gets some security camera footage of oscar getting away 
but it's not really useful. It's a total dead end. So Anson asks what Michael's going to do next with this dead end, and Michael says, well, we should figure out how Oscar tracked Beatrice so they can use that to find him. And then Michael talks to Beatrice, whose, like, assistant friend has just died, and so she's very upset. Understandably. Understandably so. I I will say, I like Beatrice. I'm glad she came back. I like a kind of, like, feisty journalist who doesn't give a fuck how much trouble she's in, but when she gets into trouble, she's like, I don't like how she doesn't get anything to do in this episode. Yeah, that's the thing. That was one of the fun things about her and Sam Axe is that she was like, you know, the little rascal that was kind of going around and causing chaos. And this one, it's like, she's already caused the chaos and now somebody else needs to like take care of it for her. Yeah, because there's like, this is like, it's interesting how like, this is the Beatrice episode, but also it's the Anson tags along episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels like maybe those should have been two different ones. Yeah, it's interesting that they're the same one. But like, sometimes you you do double up like that because like you want to make the episode feel like momentous like especially if like you have like a twist that you want to drop right if if you have like a twist you want to drop so you want to make sure people watch the episode but you can't say that there's something coming so you have to like announce a guest star so that like People start watching it and are like, oh, I need to sit down and tune in. This is important. There's a returning character. Sure. Um, I wonder how I much think- of, like, at the time, Burn Notice viewers actually tuned in to watch Sam Axe, like, as it was coming out. I don't know. I imagine, like, I imagine, like, a fair amount of people did. Because I feel like by the time that Follow Sam Axe came out, like, if you were watching Burn Notice, you were, like, a Burn Notice fan. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. It's just, I, especially when you couldn't, you know, it was harder to watch things after they'd aired. I, I, I wonder how they got the word out. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like they advertised it a lot. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't remember what was happening in 2011. No, yeah, I do remember advertisements for it. Like, yeah, no, they advertised it quite a bit. So Michael asks Beatrice if she knew, if anyone knew that she was in Miami. And she says that she has a friend at the consulate who she had emailed in order to arrange her trip there. And Michael realizes that, oh, that's how Oscar knew where you were here. So Michael tells her to set up a meeting with her friend and then have Sam take her somewhere safe while... Michael meets and deals with Oscar. Meanwhile, back in the Caymans, Fee and Jesse watch George get ready to meet them and notice that he's got, like, a gun and doesn't have money for them. So Fee distracts him while Jesse disarms him. Uh, it's It goes pitifully poorly. Uh, George tells them <laughs> that he can't get the money out because he su- it's super duper flagged. And they tell him, well, you have to get the money out. And so you're just going to get flagged. You're going to have to be on the run for the rest of your life now. In fact, since you're going to be on the run for the rest of your life, you might as well steal money from all the other drug dealers and weapons dealers and bad guys that you bank for. Just steal a bunch of it because you're already going to be on the run for the rest of your life anyway. You might as well. Mm. Which is like amazing. I love the extent to which they do not care about this person. We're yeah, because gonna... like they 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 take one look at this guy and they're like, we're gonna ruin his life and we're gonna fucking we're gonna love ruin doing his it. life because we want to have fun doing that because we're Fee and Jesse and we know which people are good and which people are bad and that means we get to like hurt the ones that are bad. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's honestly very Sam Axe energy. Usually, Sam Axe is the one who like loves, like just luxuriates in torturing bad guys. Well, Sam likes the torture and interrogation. Where like, uh, yeah, I think like Fee and he Jesse just, just like, to be just, like being, yeah, being chaotic and being like kind of catty. Anyway, so George gets the money. And Fee and Jesse stage a death for him so that he can disappear. Where they shoot up his car and, like, leave blood everywhere. They take his own blood out of them. Like, they get extra blood to put it in the car. But then they specifically take his own blood out of them so they can smear it all over him. And then, like, drag him around so, like, his (laughs) actual blood is on the scene. Yeah, the physicality with which they just treat him like an item is extremely funny. They shoot up his car, they set it on fire, they make it really clear, like, yeah, no, this guy is super dead. And then they do all that, he gives them the money, and then they just leave. He's like, Mm -hmm. can I get a ride? They're like, no. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, the contempt is so thick. 
It's so funny. It's so cold. I remember like that one episode where there was like the lawyer, the Adam Scott lawyer that wasn't played by Adam Scott, where they were also very mean to that guy. But like in a way that like the episode did not want to, didn't want them to seem like they were being mean. Like it had to, whereas like this episode is under no such illusions. They're like, no, we're just going to have them be mean. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's fun. Yeah, I appreciate that. There's there's not really any craft to this. They're just like, we'll lie to him once and then be just really rude the rest of the time. Exactly. Like, this is a job for Anson. We're not going to put flair into it. We're just going to, like, delight in destroying the fucking man's life. And, like, it's also like, well, we're working. We're doing, like, a bad thing for a bad person. So there's no need to, like, pretend that there's any moral righteousness to this. We're going to... We're going to do our bare minimum to make sure that this guy doesn't immediately get killed. But, like, the bare is the minimum. Yeah. Anyway, Michael goes to Madeline's garage to, like, work on something. Like, he needs uh, car parts. And while he's looking for car parts, he gets a call from Ivan, Oscar's handler, who tells him that I, Ivan, am in charge of getting Oscar. And that if you don't stay away and stay out of this Oscar business, like, I will kill you. And then after Which he is sort up, of a strange thing. Like, it feels like that's not when that interaction's supposed to happen. Like, it's funny where he's just like, he just calls him up like, hey, Michael, remember how we saw each other earlier? Fucking go away. And I yeah. just, it feels like a weird, like, thing to do. Why would he call to tell him that rather than just when they run into each other again, inevitably say, hey, stop doing this or I'll kill you. Like, it just seems weird that he would go out of his way to call Michael directly. Like, I'm going to kill you. I don't know if it's a power play to be like, yes, I have your number. Yeah, and, like, but who cares? We're never going to see this guy again. Fuck this dude. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, after the call ends, Ma- Madeline enters the room and chews Michael out some more. And this is the scene you were talking about earlier where she's like, like saying, you can tell me stuff. And like, she also repeats the thing that she said earlier in the season about how like the things that you do affect other people. Like, that's a like... That's a song she's been singing for a bit, but, like, it's a good song. (laughs) And, like, hey, the way you behave is very selfish, and it's, you think you're right, but, like, the decision that you've decided that you were definitively right is, like, not a choice that you get to make. Yeah. I like this scene. Me too. But the other thing about this scene, don't like as much. (laughs) Michael apologizes and explains that Anson was using her and Fee to fuck with him. And then he also mentions that, like, he had said some stuff about his dad to fuck with him and then madeline's like why what do you what did he say about your dad and then madeline says it's the things that you don't know that hurt you and this implies that like michael's dad had a secret or something i think it more implies that like whatever anson did with his dad or talked to his dad about or whatever his dad revealed might be a thing i don't think it necessarily is his dad had a secret but if anson and his dad interacted in any way that's probably information that will be useful to michael See, that was the thing. I thought, I was watching this episode, and there was, like, 10% of me that thought, like, by the end of this episode, we were going to find out that his dad was a spy. (laughs) No, I didn't think that. The whole time I was watching this episode, I was like, I was right. He did talk to Michael's dad. I knew it. But, and we'll get there. That's such a nothing burger. Well, it's not quite such a nothing burger. What we do eventually get to is a little bit of a something-something burger. But it also isn't. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Let's get there. Come on. Come on. Uh, let's not, get not there. that, like, I don't care what, what else happens in this episode. It's fairly basic. They take yeah. the spy down through some yeah. wobbly Anson, wobbly. Anyway, Anson and Michael are waiting for, no, because there's like, there's a whole other Anson scene that's like a whole thing. Uh, Anson and Michael are waiting for Oscar to show up, and Anson asks why he cares so much about the people he helps. And Michael says, well, it's because they get handed bad deal, and that's not fair. And Anson's like, no, there's there's more to it than that. It's not just injustice. And then Michael sees Oscar's car, and they chase the car and manage to crash it safely. But it's not Oscar behind the wheel, but instead is an innocent guy who Oscar is strapped to the wheel, and this is a distraction. So Michael calls Sam, who is hiding out in a camper in the middle of nowhere, and explains that Oscar must have been tracking her phone, and now she knows where they are. And right on cue, Oscar starts sniping at Beatrice and Sam. And Beatrice gets really? some shrapnel on her arm. She does. It's very sad. She might die. Yeah, but really quickly, I do think it is extremely funny that the show feels it is necessary to continuously have bad guys demand to know Michael Weston's motives. And it's always just, I'm just a good guy. 
Yeah. I'm just a really well, good I mean, guy. <laughs> to be fair, like, this episode has a theory. Sure. Like, but it's just it, like Larry does this to him or did it to yeah. him before he died. There's, Anson does it now. They just like, they seem so surprised that the answer is just, I'm just a good guy. Yeah. But also like in this episode, the answer is not quite that he's a good guy, but it's also like, okay, well, we'll talk about it in this next scene because Michael tries to charge to save Beatrice, but Anson keeps asking him, why do you do the things that you do? And, and uh, Anson says that, Michael's, you're never going to get there in time. Like, there's no way we can get there before, like, Beatrice is killed. And so Michael's like, you're so smart. What should you do? And uh, Anson's like, I don't provide answers. I just ask the right questions. For example, here's a question. Why did you join the army? And then Michael's like, yeah, I did it to get away from my dad. And Anson's like, no, that's not totally what it is. Uh, he says, Michael, you need to make the world feel safe so that you can go home and feel safe at home. And then he asks, well, what would make Oscar feel safe? And Michael's like getting his life back and decides to go to Ivan. So Michael and Anson meet with Ivan and Ivan pulls a gun on him. And then Michael says that things will get so much worse if Oscar kills Beatrice because then he's killing them. He's killing these people on American soil. Like one of them's a former agent. It's not a good look. And so he says, instead, tell Oscar that Beatrice is a Russian agent and tell him to stop trying to kill her. And Michael says that he will listen to Ivan and come back as long as Ivan can convince him that, quote, all the nightmares that he sees when he closes his eyes will help other people sleep better. And he says that Oscar just wants the world to make sense. This is the most Batman that Michael Weston has ever been. Mm-hmm. Except instead of like dead parents, it's abusive parents and specifically abusive dad. And I, I kind of wish we had see- met Anson a lot earlier because like this yes. is the kind of stuff that I would have liked to see out of the like obligatory seven episodes prior to this in seasons one and two where somebody yes. will be like, your dad abused you <laughs> or like it's I was a thing ab- where, you know, like. <laughs> it's like this finally this, episode, this is interesting this feels foundational like to michael weston well but they've already done it so many times that it kind of undercuts like the yes, familiarity 100%. of it undercuts a little bit of it well because it's a, it's supposedly so foundational and it is it definitely does make you look at michael weston a little bit differently and like his like emotional detachment differently and you know his sort of like blending into the background just to like you know work things out or whatever like it it's really an interesting take on who he is and it but contextualizes not, why we're constantly bringing up the dad, and it feels but, too late. But it also feels like we got there, right? Like, this is not new information. No. Like, like it's my favorite is, presentation like, of it, though. But it is my favorite. It is, no, easily my favorite presentation of it. But, like, yeah, the, it only undercuts it because, like, feels like, well, we kind of knew this already. Like, yeah, the whole we know that Michael was motivated by the fact that, like, his dad was abusive and he joined the army to get away. And, like, like it, it's, it's saying it well. It's putting a nice bow on it. It's giving, like, a theory to it. But, like, it's a theory that we all kind of de- sort of have developed independently. So it doesn't feel necessarily, like, revelatory or, like, a new thing as much as an articulation of an idea that's already existed in the show for, like, a long time. Mm-hmm. It's putting to words something that, like, we probably could have gotten it by ourselves. And, like, it's making the subtext text. Yes. But, like, in a, in a, in a well-done way. And I like Jeffrey Donovan's acting a lot here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing a yeah. good job with all this. Gutting. Anyway, he says all this stuff, and then when Ivan asks him what to do with Oscar, when Oscar comes back, Michael says, it, pretty chillingly, you have the answer in your right hand. And it's a gun. It's the gun that he had been pointing at him. (laughs) Meanwhile, back in the camper, Sam cuts a hole in the floor so that Beatrice can sneak out while Sam distracts is going to distract Oscar by going out the front door. Beatrice is certain that this will get Sam killed, but Sam is not taking no for an answer. Beatrice, again, never gets to do anything badass in this episode. Like, Mm-mm. she's such, it's like, such a, a shame. damsel. A yeah. Yes. Anyway, then Ivan calls Oscar on the phone while Oscar's sniper sight is trained on Sam. Like, he's about to shoot Sam. And then Ivan explains that, like... Oscar, you did nothing wrong, and that he's a hero, and he served his country well, but if he kills Beatrice and Sam, Ivan won't be able to protect him. And But, like, if he stops right now, everything will be fine, and he will be a hero. 
and Oscar puts his gun down and leaves. Later, Beatrice is in the hospital and Michael and Sam, Sam tell her that the Russians will deal with Oscar and probably shoot him. And things are fine now. Just so long as she doesn't keep reporting on Russians. And she's like, oh, I'll think about it. Which is like Which the only amount of spunky agency that she gets is like, I might keep doing this. I'm definitely uh, going to be a problem that you're going to have to deal with again. Although I, I don't think she comes back. I don't think she comes only, back. I think this is the only recurrence that she she makes yeah, to the universe. It's a shame. The BNCU. Anyway, now we're going to get to it. So in the waiting area, Anson is like talking to Michael about the case that just happened. And then he says, you know, you shouldn't have been so hard on your dad. He wasn't that bad a guy. And I was like, what do you know? What do you know about my dad? And he's like, yeah, no, I did. We've been watching you for a long time. So like I did in fact, talk to your dad. And he says, like, you know, your dad did regret a lot of that stuff. And he wanted to apologize to you. And then he says, but the thing was that y'all are actually kind of similar. And so he was starting to get suspicious about all these questions that I was asking him. And so he says that, quote, a heart attack had to be arranged. And so, like, yeah, Anson killed his dad. Mm-hmm. Which For is, like, some reason. For some reason, yeah, because he was getting too close. Now, I just mean like narrative for some reason. Yeah, for some, yeah. Like, I will say also, he like says that we are, we killed your dad. All the while, kind of dramatic string music is playing, you know? It's like, I don't remember. I remember the reveal. (laughs) Of like string music, right? And Mm. it's like slowly building throughout the scene. And Anson says something along the lines of, he says, you know, it's so funny, all those times that you wanted, like, you wanted him to die, and I guess we did it for you. And then he says, and then, like, the string music cuts out, totally silent. And then he goes, you're welcome. And then the string music comes back in, but, like, the drums kick in, and it's, like, this big momentous moment and we're just like holding on Michael as Anson walks away and it's like it's like not quite 808s but like kind of sounds like almost like trap beats where it's like yeah we just did that and it's like yeah but you didn't do that much but what's really funny to me is that this isn't even the end of the episode yeah it's a it's a wild not end like it's it's like some of these Marvel movies where it's like, this movie has ended four times. What are we still doing yeah. here? Please end the movie. It's sort of like that. But can I also just say really briefly, I do think that like it's kind of fucked up how often childhood trauma stories end with like learning that the parent felt bad for it. They always yes. do. Most like violent alcoholics feel bad that they hurt people. But then they keep doing it. Like, feeling bad is not a prerequisite for healing. Right. Stopping the say, behavior or finding I a way to, like, get help is, like, that's that not an this action. show, and I'm often wrong about yeah. this show being better than it is. But one thing that this show isn't actually that terrible at is, like, understanding the way that, like, abuse actually hurts pe- Like, the way that people feel about abusers and, like... I do think that, like, they're going to land on a place of, like, well, he was still an asshole. He was still an abuser. And, like, but I think that that's not a thing that we're going to, obvi- that they can do in this episode. But I am sure that that is going to be, like, a part of, like, the finale. I don't, I don't think know we're if going it's to going to end. Be. Well, okay. Know. You know what? Knowing what I do know about the finale, there might be something in that. Like, I, I bet there's going to be at least one episode where there is some reckoning of how... Michael sees himself in context of his father and fatherhood more generally. But I don't think that it's going to go that far because we've already seen the way that they handled the abuse and it's fairly straightforwardly like, you know, we, we are better because of it. It made us who we are. Like they're the, they, yeah. they, 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 it's that kind of thing. We know this. Like, we've yeah. seen them do it like eight times. I don't, and that's why it true, pisses me don't. off that this is, and it's played as like, isn't it tragic that we killed your dad before he could apologize? Yeah, and it's like, thing. I bet his dad's apologized a lot. The lack of apology I, is not the problem. <laughs> yeah. The, the weird thing is that, like, it's playing this moment, like, they killed his dad. And, like, we're, and, like he says, like, you're welcome. Yeah, Are we supposed no. to be sad about it? <laughs> like, yeah, is he supposed to be sad about the fact that you killed his dad? Like, like 
you're, and are we as the audience supposed to be like devastated he didn't yeah, get closure? It's, it's unclear like watching it how we're supposed to feel it seems like it's only momentous because it's bad when someone kills your dad <laughs> like like we're supposed to care about it because like if a character kills your dad that's important like we saw lion king the bad guy kills your dad and that's the worst thing that can happen and like but it's also like they have the show has such a like really specific relationship with his dad that like the idea well, that the like, show also has a weird relationship with family and like it's yes. sort of seen like in many many episodes like the second in command has shown us that his opinion of like family is they stick together no matter what you find a way around it even if you're estranged and shouldn't be married you get back together for the sake of the family like the family is everything and i think that like this very much ladders up to that like this very much is it's you know he may have beaten you and like traumatized you and your mother and your brother for life about it that one but he's your father he's your father yeah which is bullshit. But anyway, so yeah, that is somehow not the end of the episode. Instead, we get one more scene. Fee and Michael are waiting for Sam to have his meeting with the FBI to help take down Anson. Except it turns out that Sam's meeting was canceled because Sam is now being flagged as a Russian agent. Because it turns out that Beatrice wasn't the only one that Ivan claimed was an agent. And Anson had convinced Ivan to also have Sam declared a Russian agent, at which point the waitress delivers a note from Anson gloating, and Fee says that she's going to disappear so Michael can deal with this, but Michael does not want to lose her and does not want her to leave, which I think is actually nice because we spend so much time having Michael sending people away, the fact that he's like, no, I don't want you to go away. I like that. And then Fee asks Yeah, I like that too. When did Anson get time alone with Ivan? I don't know. Like, the episode... the way that they cut, like, we didn't watch them leave that scene. I guess that's true. Like, but he so, wasn't like, in the office. Don't... He was like, no, talking he was in to the office. The... Wasn't he just talking to the receptionist? No, that was a way earlier in the episode. Yeah, the timelines of these two episodes no. from last like, week no, and this like, week are way, very way, confused I, in my brain. No, I think this one is on you. <laughs> Oh, no, it for sure is. I I just, for some reason, like, because both of them dealt with, because we're in the late season, you know, because both of them are dealing with a lot of, like, heavy Anson shit, I've, like, rearranged the two episodes in my head, and they now take place in wildly different orders than they're supposed to. Right. But no, I think, like, yeah, no, he had, there is time for him to have done it. And again, I do really appreciate, I've talked about this before, about how all of the stuff that Anson does in this episode feels like chess like chess mastery while also feeling believable totally yeah for the first time like a psychological horror of an antagonist actually seems to make sense this is what simon was supposed to be simon escher don't forget or even like that's his name don't wear it out in the first season the way that they kept doing it with like toby from west wing where like toby from west wing was like leaving cards and shit Right, yeah. And it turned out he was just like a guy at an office who gets killed as soon as he has a conversation with him. Yeah, like, yeah, it seems like they've been wanting to, like, they want so bad to have this character. They've tried so many times to do this character, and they've only finally just now gotten it right. And, like, it's making the season better. Like, the season got better when he was introduced. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, and we're heading. And into I think he's interesting and compelling, left. and I think he does interesting things, and I think they're using him interestingly. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to spy tips now. Because the fact that he's talking to Anson, there's a, some things that he says to Anson that might have been spy tips, but I did not write those down because they are not voiceover. I mean, I don't write any of these down because, as you know, we get them from the Burn Notice Wiki. Yes, we used to write them down. It used to be my least favorite part of recapping is oh, having to like pause and write down verbatim. Anyway, so there were not a lot of spy tips in this episode. Mm-mm. I'm going to ask right now, do you think that, like, there is an argument to be made that because they did a fun format f- change oh, up thing. Oh, let's get through spy tips. Well, but that's what, but it's it's related to spy tips. Do you think that we should count some of the spy tips he tells Anson, given that, like... Here's why no. Okay. A, why no? They all seem to be, none of them were, like, too new. There weren't, like, good spy tips. And B, I didn't write them down, and I'm not going to go find them. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're close enough, like, if if all four of these next ones work out. Oh, they're not. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
Fair enough, fair enough. It wouldn't have made a difference anyways. All right, please continue. Surviving an enemy sniper attack is about finding adequate cover while being able to stay mobile enough to escape the shooter's pre-scouted kill zone. Pulling the shifter linkage of a parked car into neutral and using it to roll as a rolling barricade allows you to do both as long as you can get it moving. Yeah, this is cool. I didn't know that you could do that from under a car, that you didn't have to be like inside of it. Yeah. This is useful. Oh, that was cool. I learned a thing. I, I also learned a thing. Don't you just love learning? I love learning. That's why I do this podcast. Faking <laughs> someone's education. death is all about getting the details right. The human body contains five liters of blood. Finding half that amount spilled across the seat of an abandoned car is enough to lead any crime scene investigator to draw the obvious conclusion. Answering the remaining questions of where the body went and how the victim was injured is as simple as a blood trail run cold, destroying any DNA that doesn't match the victim, and lots and lots of bullets. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we've seen like versions of this before, but this was a nice comprehensive how to fake your own yeah. death sort of a situation. All right, next. If you want to incapacitate an enemy's moving car, the first thing you need is a bigger vehicle. A utility truck gives you enough horsepower to keep you from getting left in the dust, and a full-size metal bumper can take a pounding. The trick is to get close enough to your target to precisely time an accident that keeps innocent bystanders out of harm's way and surprises your enemy with a hard impact to force them out of control. And if their wheels aren't touching the ground, they have no way to escape. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. And like, especially watching the thing that they do in the episode and yeah. Yeah. All right. This is the one that I figured was probably nothing, but I kept it mostly for suspense sake. When you want to catch a well-placed and well-protected spy, you can't just call the local police. That kind of investigation takes high-level resources and even higher level of operational security, which means you have to start with someone connected to the very top. That, what? No. What? Yeah, it's nothing. No. Everything else was, like, not even spy tips. It was just narration. Well, it's because, yeah, they definitely, like, subsumed the spy tip giving portion of the episode to, in in episode, but literally that, talking like, to Anson. Except it didn't really. Like, there were two, there were two times where that happened. There was, That's like, true. the receptionist, and then there was, like, Anson asking, well, you hit a dead end, what are you going to do next? Really, the receptionist was the only thing that felt like a spy tip, spy tip. The only thing that, like, Michael says to Anson about spy stuff that would have, like, qualified as a spy tip. And so even if that one was good, that would only have gotten us to four. That's fair. There's only three, so there are not enough spy tips. Was there enough spy tips last week? No, right? No. Yeah, last week there were also three or four. Yeah. Anyway, was there spycraft over violence in this episode? I mean, yeah. No, I think, like, in some ways it's the most spycraft because it literally was just Michael going to, like, another spy and being like, hey, call your, your spy spy's out of because control. of spy reasons. <laughs> get, like, get your boy in hand. Yeah. Like, and negotiating with him and being like, like, this is in some ways the most spy shit. This is some... Outside so of the that. times where he literally works for the CIA. And so we have that. Once again, there's no alias. I know. We've been having a couple of, like, laxa aliases recently. Yeah. And no one's got an alias. Not even, like, someone else. You know, like, Jesse and Fee have an alias that they're bad people. <laughs> I don't think that they're an alias at all. I think <laughs> that's just how they feel about this guy. But yeah. So once again, just like last week, this is already not a great episode of Burnettas. But let's look at our supporting characters. Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be co-protagonist? Definitely not co-protagonist. I don't. No, I don't she think she really, blows any... They what set they the, the car, car again? on fire. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think it's just fire. It's not technically blowing it up. Uh, yeah. yeah, she basically is just in a lot of talkie scenes. Yeah. I mean, they're really good talking scenes. Sure, yeah, she's having a great time, but I don't think that that counts as Fee being mm. used well. That's true. It's Fee being understood as a character, but that's different. Yeah. What about Sam? Does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? No, he basically is just like no. protective dad. Which the, is not thing really... about, the thing about the fact that this is the Beatrice episode, but it's also the Anson tags along, tags along episode is that you would think that the Beatrice episode would also be a Sam episode, but it doesn't get to be that. Mm-mm. Yeah, Sam is barely like he's he's there, but he barely has any effect on the plot yeah. whatsoever. Like he's kind of fee from a couple of episodes ago where like he's off screen babysitting for most of the scenes. Yeah. And then Jesse, is he a distinct addition? 
No. Nope. Finally, Madeline. Does Madeline get genuine emotional moments or get to be in the case of the week? And I, we do get this. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, um, we definitely have emotional scenes with her. I, she's not in yeah. the case of the week. But yeah, I think, yeah. as always, um, scenes, emotional scenes between her and Michael are electric. And yeah, they were in this episode. But yeah, that's not enough. So it's not a great episode of Burn Notice. Once again. Once again. I am more willing to make an argument for being a great episode of television, but I am also not married to that. All right, give me your reasons. I'm surprised you said that. I think it's more like excited. Like, while I don't, I really like the execution of the dance and stuff. Like, even if like the dad thing is dumb, I like the way it's played and I like the escalation. And I like the way that they use Anson in this episode. Like, I think like... Again, I like it when this show does things that feel like mythology episodes, and this one does. Definitely. I think it's pretty good at being a mythology episode. I don't. Like, I don't. I don't know if I. I mean, I agree. I enjoyed this episode. Like once again, a couple of good episodes that we've watched. I like enjoyed myself while watching it. I don't. I think there's just a few things that don't fully connect for me to make it a great yeah. episode of television. Like I wasn't blown away by anything. I was like, oh, neat, a lot. Yeah, but I don't I like, think that I that's liked... the same. I thought it made a lot of, like you said at the beginning, I think, a lot of, like, really clever, smart choices. I yeah, like, like I, I like what they were going for. I don't know yeah, what I Yeah, I like the thing they were going for. I don't know if they totally got there either. I'm not willing to argue about this very strongly. Yeah, especially because, like, Beatrice was really underused. Like, what's the point of bringing yes. back, like, what's the point of making her that's the, the character from Sam Axe? Really, like, keeps it from being a great episode of television for me. Like, the, that and the fact that the dad thing is kind of dumb. And the fact that, like, you brought in Beatrice and then you didn't use her. Like... And right. that's not, that's like not a thing a great episode of television would do. No. I mean, like, li- like, remember, this is the girl who like created a terrorist a organization militia. out of nothing. Yeah. Exactly. The fact that like, she's so like, nothing in this. It's just, yeah. So no, this At isn't a great episode least, of television. Yeah. It's but not, I, yeah. At the very least, she could have like, tried are... to solve the problem herself and then, you know. Yeah. gotten in too deep and they have to like rescue her as she helps them or something i don't know i'm yeah you're i yeah. think that once that's again that's it for me this was like almost a great episode of television but there aren't and i really appreciate the fact the thing that it's trying to do like last like last week yeah and it just like wasn't quite there it's so much better than like i would say stuff even from like not just season one but like season three or you know like yeah yeah like, yeah, I agree. It feels they're not quite succeeding, but the thing that they're attempting feels like so much more like the thing that I want the show to be. Totally. I agree. Yeah, so, I like, think that this season finally enough pieces have connected that like I think that this season is doing really interesting things. I wish it had been more consistent from the beginning of the season. I feel like the beginning of the season kind of dragged because like who cares about Max? <laughs> Like, right. we, we, we met this dude for, like, three episodes. He seemed fine, I guess, and then he died. And then, like, that whole plot line is kind of just put aside in order to introduce us to Anson, who is far more interesting and ha- plays a more interesting role in the narrative and in the plot. And yeah. I am excited to see how they close this season out. I do think, like, it was smart of them to divide the season up because that means that, like, all of these Anson episodes, I'm curious, like, if there had been a full season of Anson, if he would not be as good a character. You know what I mean? Because, like, they would have to keep coming up with Anson stuff, and it would, like, be harder to keep him being involved. Sure. I don't say that Anson should have been in it longer. It's just that, like, no, yeah. I, I feel like they didn't set up Max well enough for me to feel the stakes of that. Yeah. The status quo of the first half didn't feel like as strong as it could be yeah exactly because i think a lot of the storytelling was fun and a lot of like what they had to do i thought it was interesting that there was a fake michael weston i wish we had pushed that a little bit further like i i wish that would have amounted to more yeah because that guy was in like an episode and a half and it feels like that should have been it it felt like that should he did have a dog but it felt like that should have been still don't remember his name no, it was Mr. Like Snuffles or something like that. Yeah, um, but we'll we'll thing. do a obviously we'll do a full season debrief in uh, in two yeah. weeks when we close out the season. Um, so exactly. I think that we it's, see if this season sticks the landing. Yeah. So uh, for now, let's see if Chris can stick the landing. 
Oh, yes. Um, well, for now, there's nothing left but to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And beyond that, there's nothing left to say, but... Bye? I think making the fact that Cassie is a witch in Good Witch text rather than like weird subtext would actually do a lot to strengthen the relationships between the characters, especially that of her daughter, who is just sort of like around and like is introduced to someone who has similar witchy feelings, but like they're never really utilized all that much. And it just seems weird that she is such a major character, but has almost nothing to do with the central premise of the show. And I think that a lot of that comes from them just like being too weirdly subtle about it for seemingly no reason although I guess maybe it has to do with like middle America being freaked out by witchcraft and paganism but in which case why would you call the 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 show good witch I don't understand just make it text bye bye <laughs> <laughs>